borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid who, whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai's wife, Abram's, Abram's wife Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went in to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress despised and was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms. But when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said to Hagar, Hagar, Sarah's maid, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will too be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, behold, you are with child and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him and he will live to the east of all of his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahoi, Lahoi Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Barid. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Let us pray. This is the word of the Lord. Our gracious God and Father, we do thank you for bringing us here tonight once again by your grace. We thank you, God, for your word. And we do pray that as we consider this 16th chapter, that you would help us to see that above all, we must obey you. That above all, we must follow down the path that you have set for our lives that has been uh, transcribed for us in your word. Lord, thank you for your word. It is the only infallible uh, truth. And Lord, we thank you that you have provided it for us. Give us now ears to hear and hearts to believe. I decrease that you may increase. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, we come now to the 16th chapter of the book of Genesis. And we come to... Yet another test of faith. However, in this chapter, it was not only Abram's faith that was being tested, but the faith of his wife, Sarai. Thus far, Sarai has been a a silent supporting actor in the drama of Abram's life. She's been there. She was there when God first called Abram to leave his country and his kindred. She was there when Abram called upon the name of the Lord and when Abram built the altar. She was there during the debacle in Egypt. And she was also there during the great victory over the nations. She was there and she heard the promises of God to Abram. She knew that God had promised Abram the land of Canaan. She knew that God had promised Abram blessings upon those who blessed him and curses upon those who cursed him. She heard the promise that God would give to Abram a seed. And through that seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. One thing that has become apparent in all of these things is how Sarai would play a part in all of these promises. That's one thing that we can, I think, safely assume Sarai was unsure about. What role does she play in all of these promises? How would she be a part of the promises of God. 
And I do say that it becomes apparent that Sarai was unsure about the role that she would play in the promises of God. Because when we come to the very first two verses of the 16th chapter, we see a woman who is wrestling with her own faith and suggesting to her husband a sinful path, an alternate path, one that God has not designed for his people. It was the the broad road and not the narrow road. It was a faithless route and not a route of faith that Sarai is suggesting to her husband. This one, Sarai, who up until this point has been a silent supporting actor, she now has the spotlight. And when the light is shown upon Sarai, the light reveals a woman who is wrestling with the promises of God. And now, Sarai and Abram are both wrestling with how far they are willing to go. How long they are willing to wait for the promise of God to be fulfilled. Uh, This evening, with God's help, I would like to consider with you in three points. The failure of man's faith and the faithfulness of God. The failure of man's faith and the faithfulness of God. Number one, Abram and Sarai's first test. And we'll just say of this chapter, Abram has experienced many tests, but of this chapter, Abram and Sarai's first test. This is verses one through four. As we embark upon the 16th chapter, we are immediately confronted with the plot and the characters of the plot. We all understand, I think, what a plot is. Here's the story. Here are the characters of the story. Verse one. Now, Sarai, here's the plot. Abram's wife, had borne him no children. There's the plot. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. Here was another character now. The plot, Sarai is barren. The characters, two of them we're familiar with. Abram, Sarai, and now we are introduced to a new character. Her name is Hagar. She's an Egyptian maid. She's Egyptian. It is quite possible that Sarai acquired this Egyptian maidservant when? In the 13th chapter, when Abram told his wife, Sarai, say that you're my sister. And it all begins to fall apart. The king of Egypt finally sends them out of Egypt with all of their possessions and even more things that the king of Egypt probably gave to Abram as gifts in turn for his wife. One of those gifts we assume, and I think rightly assume, may have been this Egyptian maid named Hagar. Now, we've stated that this is the plot of the chapter. Uh, Sarai is barren. They've been waiting for 10 years for the promises of God. And here now is introduced an Egyptian maidservant. But although this is the plot, it's a true story. This is a, a true historical event that's taking place. This is no fairy tale. Therefore, this is more than a plot. This is a historical account of the testing of a man and his wife's faith. Amen. God has promised to give Abram offspring. God has promised to give Abram a child. And up until this moment, Abram and Sarai have rightly assumed that the promise would be born through their union, through their marriage. God has promised it a child. It will come, assumedly, assumedly, through their marriage. But there's a problem. And what is that problem? It's been ten years. The problem is that it's been ten years. Ten years since God called Abram to leave his country and his father's house. To go to the land that he would promise him. Ten years since God had promised Abram, you will have an offspring. Ten years and still no child. Ten difficult years, I can assume. Abram has stood on the high ground of the promises of God for ten years. Ten years while standing while the devil has sought to undermine his faith. Ten years of standing while Abram wrestled with his own flesh. Ten years of standing while Abram wrestled also with his own finitude of thinking. And Abram would inevitably find that trusting God. Pressing on, as we talked about last week, persevering in faith was the real battle of Abram's life. But when we come to the 16th chapter, 
we find that it is really none of those things that are obstacles challenging Abram's faith. It was not the devil, per se, that was challenging Abram's faith. You hear that? It was not his own flesh, per se. That was an obstacle to Abram's faith. And it was not even his own resolve to press on that was a challenge or an obstacle to Abram's faith. Brothers and sisters, the sad spectacle of the 16th chapter was that it was Abram's very own wife who now stood as an obstacle to Abram's faith and spiritual growth. Not the devil, not his flesh, not his own uh, pressing on, determination to press on. It was his wife. For ten years, disappointment after disappointment, Sarai no longer sees any point in pressing on. She's finally thrown up her hands and given up on this promise of God. This woman who has been silent and silently present through every stage of Abram's life. And and if you will, through every uh, test of Abram's faith. This woman who has silently stood by her husband, who has been a good, as we can assume, good helpmate to her husband. Has finally said, I've had enough. What will be the first words of this woman? Who was called to be a helpmate to Abram. What are the first things that come forth from her mouth? Verse 2. So Sarai said to Abram. Now behold the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. The first words that come from the mouth of this woman. Who would become the, the matriarch. Of the Israelite nation, the Hebrew nation, were not words of faith, but they were words of doubt, and I'm sure words of great disappointment. These words reveal the heart of a woman who has suffered much pain, uh, not just for the last 10 years, but we can assume ever since she was married to Abram and of childbearing age. Did you hear that? She's not just been disappointed for the past 10 years. She's been disappointed as long as she's been married to Abram. And we can assume that that's been a lot longer than 10 years. It was a test. It was a test. Sarai has has been disappointed from the time that she married Abram because during this time, to be unable to bear children was seen as a shame upon a woman's life. If you were not able to bear children, you were seen as a shame to society. And it has not just been the past 10 years that she's not been able to conceive. She's not been able to conceive since she married Abram. Again, this was a test. And Sarai, she uh, uh, correctly attributes her barrenness to Yahweh. She said, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Let me just pause and as a side note, she makes her faithlessness sound pious. You hear that? She, she makes her faithlessness and also her sinful suggestion sound holy. The Lord has done this. Therefore, let's take another route. Brothers and sisters, let us not mask our unholy actions with holy words. The absence of a child was not God's denial as much as it was God's delay. God did not deny that she would have a child, that Abram would bear a son. God just delayed his promise. And we must not confuse delays with denials. For the Lord had covenanted on oath to give Abram offspring. And as far as we know from Scripture... Abram, at this particular time, was only married to Sarai. She was the only wife that he had. Therefore, the promise of God did include Sarai. Because who else would she have, Would he have a child through? But the, the woman who was his wife. Sarai began to reason, though, that God's delay was God's denial. And we must not overlook the real struggle that, must, that it must have been for this woman to say to her dear husband, 
who must have been her husband for many, many years, month after month. No, dear husband, not this time. I am not with child, not this time. And we must not overlook the pressure. Can you imagine the immense pressure that must have been on Sarai? I, I know that just for my wife and I, the, 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 and she's not bearing the promised child, but just the pressure of her uh, every single month wondering, will this be the month that I am pregnant? This woman is the one who will bear the promised child, who will bring forth a nation. Can you imagine the immense pressure that must have been on her? That she will bear uh, children who are going to be as numerous as the stars of the sky and dust of the earth. And yet it has been ten years. And she begins to reason, maybe she is not the one through whom this child will be born. Could it be, she wondered, that there's something wrong with me? Maybe there's something wrong in me that's causing this denial from God. Uh, Maybe there is some unconfessed sin. Isn't that what we think when something that we want doesn't come to pass? Maybe I need to be more perfect in order for God to answer my prayers. Maybe there was some unrepented sin within me causing God to reject my request or even reject me. Sarai sees the circumstances And she was unable to see how the promises of God could ever be fulfilled. This was the test. What was her solution? Verse 2. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. Sarai has suggested that her husband sin and disobey God. This This is his wife. His wife's suggestion, sin and disobey God. How is this a sin? How so? Sarai has suggested that her husband, first of all, break God's design for marriage. Genesis chapter 2, God designed that a man would leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God has designed that one man should be joined to one woman, and now Sarai has suggested that one man be joined to two women. This is Sarai, the, the matriarch of the Hebrew nation. She is suggesting that Abram break the marriage covenant. Sarai was also suggesting another sin. Abram forsake the promise of God. She's saying to Abram, give up. It's not going to work. I know what you said God has promised. It's not going to happen. God has promised that he would give Abram a seed. And it would come through this path. Sarai is saying, Abram, let's take a different path. Let's take a different route. Let's let's veer off of the narrow road. Maybe there's a better route. And by her suggestion, she was, in a sense, almost asking, Abram, has God really said? Now, that may sound familiar to you. Has God really said? And with the suggestion We are reminded of another who said, has God really said? The suggestion may have fallen on deaf ears if it were to come from anyone else. If anybody else suggested this suggestion to Abram, I am most certain that he would have rebuked them sharply. But this suggestion was not just coming from anyone. This suggestion was coming from the one who was bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. His very wife. The one whom he loved. Now it must be said that what Sarai was suggesting was not uncommon in that day. For a man to have many wives and even many concubines was in fact the way of the world in that day. It it was also common for a wife to bear, or who was unable to bear children, to have her husband take a servant and conceive a child through that servant and then take that child's, uh, that servant's child as her own. Therefore, the servant would just be a baby maker. It was the way of the world. 
But it was not the way of God's people. Again, Sarai said, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my, my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. Again, has God really said? With this suggestion, we are reminded of the great height from which the first man fell when he heeded the suggestion of his wife Eve to take from the forbidden fruit the fruit that God had forbidden. Sarai, just like Eve, was created to be a helpmate for Abram. And now she is standing before him as a stumbling block in his faith and spiritual growth. Like Adam and Eve, who sought to take the promises of God into their own hands, forsaking obedience in the covenant of works, so Sarai sought to take the promises of God into her own hands. And she is willing to to go to the point of sacrificing the sanctity of her own marriage and exclusive intimacy with the husband that she loved. She's willing to sacrifice her marriage. She's willing to sacrifice intimacy with her husband. In order to take the promises of God into her own hands. To to make them come about by her own means. By her own strength. And there's a bit of irony here, isn't there? In times past, faithless Abram gave his wife into the hands of the king of Egypt. And now faithless Sarai is giving her husband into the hands of an Egyptian maidservant. Brothers and sisters, Egypt almost always represents sin in the scriptures. It's not just circumstances that are obstacles. It's not just the devil that is an obstacle. It can also be people who are obstacles in our faith. And how difficult it is when that person is your very own spouse. The one who is bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. Sarai stood in the path of Abram. Sarai stood in Abram's pursuit of God and pressing on in faith toward the promises of God. What do you do when it's not your coworker? It's not your neighbor. It's not a close friend who was an obstacle to your faith. It is your very own spouse. What do you do? Dear ones, are you encouraging your spouse to press on in faith? Or are you standing and are they standing in the way of your faith? Are you a consistent source of strength and encouragement to your your spouse? Or are you a consistent source of heartache and discouragement in the faith to your spouse? Sarai was suggesting that rather than take the high ground of faith in God, that she and her husband take the low ground. They were faced with a difficult choice, weren't they? The choice was, would they stand out from the world and its standard and practices, trusting in God, or would they allow the world to squeeze them into its mold? Therefore, the issue that they faced is the same issue that you and I face here today. Will we take the lower ground, conforming to the practices of this world, Or will we be consecrated to God? Standing up and standing out on the promises of God. What will Abram do? Verse 2. Listen to the wording. And Abram listened to the voice of his wife, Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife took Sarai. Abram's wife took Sarai, the Egyptian maid, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He went in, that is an intimacy. He went into Hagar and she conceived. Moses is using very intentional language. We are only 13 chapters removed from another covenant head who listened to the voice of his wife rather than listening to the voice of God. Abram, like Adam did not listen to the voice of God, but listened to the voice of his wife. 
The Bible says in the, in, in the third chapter, the Lord rebuked Adam in the third chapter saying, what do you say? Because you listened to the voice of your wife, God says to, to Adam. That's the rebuke. Because you listened to her rather than me, cursed are you. The rebuke was simple and direct. You didn't listen to God. You listened to your wife and it could be said vice versa. You didn't listen to your, you listened to your husband. You didn't listen to God. Adam submitted to his wife rather than submitting to God. And brothers, lest we think, I speak to the brothers for a moment, lest we think the moral of today's sermon is don't listen to your wife. The moral of today's sermon above all is above all, obey God. Above all, obey God. Even when it comes in direct conflict with your spouse, obey God. Abram yielded his God-given... Abram yielded his God-given headship over to his home, of his home over to his wife, Sarai. Rather than saying lovingly, of course, rather than saying lovingly to his wife, dear wife, God forbid it. Dear wife, remember the promises of God. Dear wife, taking your hand. Dear wife, come, let us go. Let's go count the stars and remember the promises of God. Rather than doing thus, Abram yielded his God-given headship over to his wife. And let her take the lead. He listened to the voice of his wife. And brothers, let me say to you, anytime your wife takes the lead, your house is out of order. Anytime you divert and you yield leadership over to your wife, your house will be out of order and in disarray. How do you know that, Pastor? Read the rest of chapter 16. Finish reading the rest of that chapter. And let's do that now. Number two, Abram and Sarai's second test. Remember, that's test of the chapter. Abram and Sarai's second test. This is verses four through six. Abram, and if you can imagine the scene, I don't know how this is, unless you grow up in a world where this is normal, I don't know how you stand by. And watch your spouse marry another person. And that's exactly what took place. Abram marries the Egyptian Hagar. And no doubt Sarai is there. Maybe she wasn't. Maybe she couldn't bear the sight. But nevertheless, Abram marries this Egyptian woman, Hagar. It appears as though Hagar allowed her pregnancy then, because she becomes pregnant, she allows her pregnancy to become a source of pride. She was a servant. She was repeatedly identified by Abram and Sarai as servant or as maid. If you read the scriptures, you will not see Abram or Sarai in the 16th chapter call Hagar by her name. She is always the maid. The maid. Your maid. But this maid has accomplished something that Sarai has not yet been able to accomplish. She's conceived. And it would appear as though she now felt that after 10 years of seeing uh, my maid servant or, or my mistress, she's the, 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 the mistress, uh, Sarai, after 10 years of seeing my mistress, maybe less, not, a, not being able to conceive, I've laid with Abram and now I am with child. It appears as though she began to feel superior to Sarai. That possibly all of this that's taking place was really about her all along. It finally made sense. She was taken from Egypt and maybe it was confusing. Why am I being taken from my homeland to serve in this house of of this, this wanderer, this Hebrew? She's heard the promises of God and now it appears that she's believing this was all about me. It all makes sense now. That's why I've been taken from Egypt, so that I can bear this promised child. Now it makes sense. And she begins to despise Sarai. You're not really the matriarch. I am. This has all been twisted and wrong. You're not really the queen. I am. 
For Abram was the king, right? Abram was the leader of that nation. He would be treated, therefore, as king. And she's born the king's son or the king's child now. She's carrying the king's child. Whatever the reason for her mistreating Sarai, despising Sarai, we are told that she begins to look down upon her. And Sarai recognizes this. I think women know when another woman doesn't like her, like them, right? Sarai recognizes this shift in attitude and places the blame not on herself, but on her husband. She says in verse 5, may the wrong done to me be upon you. (laughs) I gave my maid into your arms. But when she saw that she conceived, I was despised in her sight. And this is what she says sharply. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abram, this is all your fault. You did this, and I hope that God judges you for what you've done. Can you imagine that? She's now placing all of the blame on Abram. Again, isn't it reminiscent of the first fall? No one wants to take responsibility. And we may first object and say, Sarai, this was your idea. You suggested this path. You suggested the sin. You are to blame. And Sarai was wrong. But she was also right. She was right in the sense that she failed to, or she was wrong in the sense that she failed to believe the promise of God for their lives. But she was right in the sense that she, that Abram failed to take leadership over his family. The leadership that God designed for his family. And if he had taken the lead, he would have rejected Sarai's suggestion. And she's almost saying, if you would have taken the lead like you were supposed to, this would have never happened. But you let this happen. Abram was the priest of his home. And he abdicated leadership to his wife when he listened to her. Sin has now given birth and no one wants to carry the baby. Abram's home was in disarray. For this, again, is what happens when a man abdicates, fails to lead his home. Verse 6, here's his response. What, what, Abram, okay, now you have the chance to get it all back in order. What will you do? Behold, your maid is in your power, he says. <laughs> do to her what is good in your sight. Hagar was now Abram's wife. Not referred to as such, but he still calls her your maid. She's a piece of property, a soulless baby maker, if you will. And she's being treated as such. such. Once again, Abram sidesteps responsibility. He, He once again gives leadership over to his wife. You take the lead, honey. You do what you think is best. And Abram literally wants nothing to do with the wrath of his wife. And he's not willing to stand in the middle of his two feuding wives. You know, men who are afraid of their wives. That's a shame. To be afraid of your wife. It should not be the case. And and wives should not be afraid of their husbands. There should be a loving communication, a loving channel of communication between the two of them to where they can reason together. Not sidestep anything just so that I don't see you mad. I love the fact that, uh, and it's taken time, that my wife and I are, are at a place where we can talk about anything. Anything difficult. Because we're not afraid of each other. And we're not afraid of, of each other's response. Because we have come under God's authority. So our responses, therefore, need to be filtered through what God has said. That's a wonderful thing that we should all strive for in our marriages. Abram could have taken control of the conflict, but he ran away. And now a mess lay before him that, that, and I say real quick, that still lays before us all today. We'll talk about that more in the future sermons. So what does Sarai do? Verse 6, Sarai treats her, uh, Hagar, harshly. And she, Hagar, fled from her presence. Sarai begins to mistreat Hagar. Uh, Treated her harshly is the same words or word described 
that describe the way the Egyptians mistreated the Israelites when they were enslaved in Egypt. The Egyptians were mistreating the Israelites, and, and before this, prior to all of these things, the Israelite is mistreating the Egyptian. So those who are hearing this automatically understand what's going on. She may have uh, reminded her, uh, Sarai reminding Hagar, she may have, have reminded her sharply, don't forget, you're still my slave. She may have put even greater, uh, a greater workload on Hagar, possibly hoping that she would miscarry the child. When we see the, the, uh, the mistreatment of, of Egypt to Israel in the book of Exodus, the Egyptians are putting a greater workload on the Israelites. That could possibly be what take what has taken place here with Hagar or Sarai and Hagar. Sarai may have put a, a greater workload on her servant in order to mistreat her. Whatever the case, it became unbearable for Hagar. And she ran away. Now where is she going? She's going back to Egypt. Egypt from where Canaan was was a six day journey. She's had enough. If you remember from our last sermon, in order to go to Egypt, you must go down, down, and down to Egypt. And remember, Egypt always represents, almost always represents what in the scriptures? Sin. Hagar is leaving Abram's house. She is risking, uh, as a pregnant woman, she is risking traveling through the desert, traveling down through the desert. Because the pain that she's experiencing in Abram's house is worth going through the desert and returning all the way back home to sin. It's a shame that sometimes that's what people experience in church. They are hurt in church and they would rather go back to the world than return to the church. Hagar becomes a victim of Abram and Sarai's sin and faithlessness. She becomes the victim. She wasn't asked, will you marry? She wasn't asked, will you conceive? She was told you will. Because she was treated as a piece of property. This is Abram and Sarai's sin. They reasoned that it was a good idea to take a route that God did not design. They reasoned that sin was a good idea. But their sin did not just affect them. Their sin has brought misery to Hagar. It's brought humiliation and bitterness to Sarai. And it's brought brought multiplied problems to, to Abram. And he discovers anew, he discovers afresh that the wages of sin are always, always costly. The wages of sin are always bitter. We have seen the test of Abram, the test of Sarai, and even to a certain extent, the test of Hagar. And we've also seen their solutions. Each solution that they've devised has resulted in circumstances becoming even worse. But this is not, thankfully, the end of the story. For God also has something to say about all of these things. Last and finally, God's sovereign plan. This is verses 7 through 14. Hagar runs away and she travels down as far as Shur. Shur is on the border of Egypt. She had just made it, almost made it into Egypt. And just before she makes it all the way back to Egypt, she is stopped in her tracks. Just before she enters sin or the world, she is pursued by the angel of the Lord and stopped in her tracks. Thus far, Hagar has been treated like an object. She's been treated as a worthless piece of property whose only value was in the fact that she was able to conceive. But when she was found by the Lord, the angel of the Lord, she's not treated as an object. But rather, she is treated like one who was created in the image of God. He comes to her. And for the first time in this narrative, a character 
calls her by name. He's the fourth character, isn't he? The angel of the Lord. And he's the only one in this chapter who has not referred to, a, to, to Hagar as a maid. But he's called her first her name. Verse 7, Hagar. And then he tells her her responsibility, maidservant. Hagar, the angel of the Lord knows her name. Her name has not been omitted from the mouths, has been omitted from the mouths of Sarai and Abram. But she is well known by this angel. The angel of the Lord comes to this runaway, not with sharp rebuke, not with harsh treatment, but with tender loving care. He seeks her out. Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? And where are you going? Isn't that a question that we've all been confronted with when we've been called by God? Where am I going? What am I doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? The angel of the Lord addresses Hagar's call and says, where you come from? Where have you come from? She came from the house of Abram, the Hebrew. The wanderer. She was a maid to Sarai. But she's been mistreated by her maid and she's run away. Is that where she's come from? I'll say that again. Where you've come from? Where have you come from? From the house of Abram, the Hebrew. Sarai is my, is my mistress, but she's mistreated me, so I've run away. Is that all the story? Is that everything that she's come from? There's something more, right? God is drawing out of her a question that he knows. Where have you come from? The house of Abram. What is in the house of Abram? The promises of God are in the house of Abram. The, the, the preaching of God's word, if you will, as she's exposed to the promises of God, are in the house of Abram. The sacrifices offered to God are in the house of Abram. True worship. Not pagan idolatrous worship that she's experienced all around her and that she's going back to. But true worship to the one true God, Yahweh, is in the house of Abram. The community of believers were in the house of Abram. That's where she was coming from. She was coming from, if you will, the church. And she's trying to run from the church back to Egypt, the world. In the scriptures, again, Egypt is always, almost always sin. And she's almost made it back to the place of sin until she is met by the angel of the Lord. And what does he say? Or what does she say? I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress. The angel of the Lord said to her, return. Go back. Return to your mistress. Not only that, but submit. Submit yourself to her authority. Hagar does not tell the angel of the Lord that she's going back to Egypt. She doesn't say, when she says, where are you going? She doesn't say, I'm going back to Egypt. The angel of the Lord knows. She's almost there. The angel of the Lord commands her to go back. Submit. Why? Why would she be commanded to do, to go, to return to such harsh treatment? Because Hagar. Hagar, the descendant of Ham, cursed by God. She's a descendant of, of sin who becomes Egypt. And she is from that land. She is that descendant. Because descendant of Ham, Egyptian woman, Gentile, you will find no means of grace in Egypt. Why go back? Because there is no mercy and grace in Egypt. It'll only be found in the house of Abram. On that day, when the Lord found her, mercifully appeared to her, God was calling her to repent, believe, and submit. For we shall see that this angel of the Lord is no, no, none other than the Lord God himself. She will be, she will, she will, and interestingly enough, she is the only woman in all of scripture who gives God a name. You are the God who sees. You are the God who sees. 
He pursued her. He, she is the one who was almost nameless and faceless in the house of Abram. But she is not nameless or faceless before God. She runs away through the desert. But who pursues her? God himself. Not her husband. Not her mistress. The Lord God, the one who sees, pursues Hagar. He pursues her. He finds her. He knows her name. He commands her and he blesses her. He says, you will be blessed and so will your children. This one through whom you will have, this one who who you bear, he will be blessed. He will be a crazy man. But I will bless him with many nations, with many descendants. She says, you are the God who sees. It is quite possible that she believed that God was nowhere. Until she, until she was found by God and realized that God is in fact everywhere. And isn't it interesting that she, this, this Gentile woman, if you will, is alone. And then she is approached by God. And it isn't, isn't it reminiscent of the Samaritan woman who was sitting by the well. Who was then approached by the Lord God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That she had an encounter with God on that day and was given faith to see God, that, that God sees all and she goes and tells her whole town. This woman is much like the man who was traveling down to Damascus on his way to persecute the church and place many in jail. Until as he was on that dusty road, he was met, he was intercepted. By the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ, the one who sees all. That day Saul became Paul. He lost his sight so that he might see afresh the God who sees all. Hagar was met by God. She was called by God to trust in him. She was promised that the child that she was carrying would be great in his own right. And we'll we'll do our own sermon on Ishmael. Go back, Hagar. Go back to the church. Return to the preaching of God's word. Return to the sacrifices. Return to the altar. Return to the word of God. Return again. If you will, return to the church. God has given his life for her. Return to her. Is she perfect? No. Will there be pain there? Yes. But God's word is there. The means of grace are there. Return to the church. Dear ones, this evening, if you are finding yourself wandering back to sin or know someone who is, you may be asking yourself, does God know my pain? Is he present through all of my suffering and struggles? Hear the witness of the Egyptian maid, Hagar. He is the God who sees all. You are not too far to be out of the reach of God. And listen to this. God gathers up the fragments of mess. Uh, I am known in our household for breaking many things. Often and always. I broke something last night and I had to bring it to my wife with a sad face. I, Antonio, she's, when I'm in trouble, she calls me my name. Like Pastor Zay said this morning. Uh, you, you know something's wrong when you're not called love or honey or the little cute names. But when they call you your name, it's like, whoa, I did something wrong. God gathers up the fragments of mess that Abram and Sarai have made. And through those fragments of mess, God draws this woman to himself. God employs the failures of his people to an end that results in glory for himself. He uses our messes. He uses our mistakes. He uses our sin and oftentimes oftentimes our grievous sins. Even for his glory. Because it could be that the Lord allowed Sarai to doubt in her faith. To suggest this sin to her husband. And for her husband to agree and go into that woman. All so that this woman might be brought to salvation and faith. 
But what about all of the mess that, it, that this nation, especially the, the, the Ishmaelite nation, what about all of the mess that it caused? What about all of the, the, the turmoil in the East because of this, this union? Oh, the lengths that God would go that he would leave the 99 and go after the one. That God would allow the turmoil and the trouble that takes place, even what we experience today, so that he might rescue just the one that belongs to him. Consider the depths of the riches and the mercy of God. As Pastor Zay said this morning, oh, the depths of the love of God. We have no sense of what God would do, or don't we? For did he not show us the extent that he would go when he gave his only begotten son? Just so that he might bring his own to himself. She has discovered the glory and the mercy of God. She, I believe, is saved. She is redeemed. The descendant of Ham becomes a believer in the God of Noah. (laughs) The God of Abram. The God of Isaac and Jacob. There are few things that ought to astonish us more than the persistent faithfulness of God to his promises, even in the face of rebellious and faithless children. Hagar returns to Abram and Sarai. And again, don't think that the consequences of sin are, are, are null and void. This will have a great effect on Abram. It will have a great effect on his marriage. And we will see this all when we get to the 21st chapter. It's not, and they lived happily ever after. And the feud between Sarai and Hagar is not not over either. But there is one thing that we must at least conclude with tonight. That Hagar was brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. All that took place then was ordered by God so that he might bring a servant girl into the kingdom of God. To God be the glory. Let us pray.